You are listening to The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 145. If you are building a building here, the foundation being the listening intently, and I don't mean just listening going, okay, yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean really listening to the words that are being used, the phrases that are being used, and maybe there's some repetitive phrases that are being used, and I take note of all of that. And then the scaffolding that comes up from that is truly, what are you, what are those objectives? Those are almost the pillars that are holding everything up. But the listening has to happen first from you as well as them if you have an idea that might work. But primarily from the coach or the advisor that's coming in and saying, okay, let's look, let's just talk a little bit about what's going on for you here. And then I ask a lot of questions. So what would success look like? What's at risk? Again, back to what are your outcomes and objectives? Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Well, hello and welcome to the Star Coach Show where we explore strategies, tools, and resources for professional coaches each and every week with our fantastic expert guests, as well as me bringing my own perspective to you. And it has been an absolute joy to do this show. Now, we're currently at episode 145, which kind of blows me away a little bit. If you are getting value from the show, it would be my ask of you to let people know about the show, share an episode that you particularly like on social media, or share the link with someone that you know that might be able to use the information to take them that next step to strengthen their coaching to help connect them with a resource that's going to be really valuable for their business. I commit to you that every week we're going to have a new show that focuses on something that helps you as a coach. And I would just ask for you to let others know about the show. And one of the ways you can do that is to rate and review wherever it is that you listen to the Star Coach Show. Now, this week, as always, I'm bringing you a guest that put me in awe. She is a dynamic lady. Curiosity, collaboration, and creativity are the cornerstones of coaching for Janet Watson. She's been consulting and coaching with executives at the world's most recognized brands for the past 22 years. Those brands include AT&T, Bank of America, Apple, UC Berkeley, Stanford Health, to name just a few. Janet has developed and coached programs as a corporate spokesperson, a strategic media consultant, an instructional designer and facilitator, and a content designer. So she has her fingers in all these different pies. She comes from such a strong background that she's able to provide strategic communications coaching and media training for managers, for directors, vice presidents, C-suite executives, and she is recognized for this work. One of the things that was a motivator for me to create this show was when 
I was approached by new coaches coming through certification programs asking, how can I sort of get a glimpse into what successful coaches have done to build their practices to be successful? And Janet is a perfect example of that. She comes from the place of professional athlete to athletic coach to many different steps where she's at now as an executive coach. She's going to talk to us about her special brand of facility teaching and how she brings value to organizations around the world. What I found to be so valuable about my interview with Janet was that she talks about that path that she walked. And I think that it helps us to see that everybody's path is different, yet how can you gain inspiration, hope, motivation from listening to different paths that different people have walked? And after Janet shares her journey with us, she's going to get into giving us some very specific steps to create powerful presentation, facilitation, when we're in front of teams or groups or individual coaching or facilitating a workshop or a training. It's what she does. It's what she does so very well. And she is sharing those nuggets of wisdom with us. So I hope that you enjoy the time that I had with Janet as much as I did, because it was absolutely riveting to me to hear about her journey and then what she does now to help organizations be the best they can be. So let's go to my interview with Janet Watson. Janet, welcome to Star Coaches. It is so good to have you here. Hi, Meg. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Well, I am really excited to take this journey with you because your journey is going to take us in lots of different directions. And as we were talking about in our pre-interview, coaching tends to attract people from many different places. Professional coaching allows us to bring our talents and our skills from wherever we came from and create the kind of practice and delivery of service that speaks to each one of us. And I'd love to begin with exploring your path into coaching and how you've then created a service delivery that is very unique to you and very impactful to the organizations that you work with. So let's start, Janet, with what sort of brought you initially into coaching? There's a few different things, but the one that really stands out to me is having been coached at a very young age as ice skater at a competitive figure skating in a very competitive rink in Denver, Colorado. And all I wanted to do was teach. I wanted to get just so good so that I could then teach. And it really wasn't about going to the Olympics. It wasn't about competing. It, was, it wasn't about an ice show. It was truly about working with other children to help them learn the sport. And so being coached at a very young age and knowing what goes into coaching, there was this na- natural movement for me, this natural way to shift that thinking into how do I coach? And what did I learn that was really valuable from that coach? Or what would I do differently that maybe my coach did that I didn't like? What would I highlight into my coaching practice? And so I turned pro before undergrad and started coaching 
skating and I loved it and I had this passion for it. I just absolutely love to see students get it when it clicks. You're just like, oh my gosh, that feels so good, not only for them, but for you as a coach. And so I thought, well, this is wonderful. I'll just keep going with this because I like the teaching coaching part so much of it. And you know, with coaching, part of it is truly teaching and you're sharing so much. You're being generous with what your ideas are, what your thoughts are and how to make something actually better. So that was the start of me really developing a coaching program. So that was with athletes. And then at some point, you transitioned into the executive coaching space and the teaching space around communication. So how did that shift happen? There, are, there is a big gap in there, right? First, I was skating, then I was teaching skating, and then all of a sudden, I'm an executive coach. And it really didn't happen like that. I was asked to teach at a university here in California in their communications department. And so I did that, I believe, for about eight and a half years, where I put together a very solid strategic program on communications and what it goes into it from a media relations standpoint to a crisis management standpoint. And so I got a lot of experience thinking on my feet and being in the classroom and working with students and also how do students learn? How do they learn differently? And it wasn't by sitting and lecturing. It was actually by getting up and doing. And so I brought a lot of what I call facility teaching into the classroom in that a lot of experiential exercise. We turned our classroom into a an actual communications firm where we would come and have meetings. I'd send them out into the field. They'd come back with their reports. We'd go to nonprofits and we'd work with them. So it was a really lovely way to learn not only about how you facilitate people and groups of people, but how do different people learn and what are their learning styles and how do you accommodate all of those, which then morphed into working with more senior level people when I was called upon to say, hey, could you come help some professors at a different university that are having problems with their teaching? They love their research, but they're not doing so well in the classroom. And so I was asked to come in and basically coach from the side, watch and observe what they were doing in the classroom, and then give them strategies to make their classes more engaging and more of a perfect fit for the cohort that they were teaching. And I still do that. That's one aspect of my coaching is working with faculty at different universities to make their classrooms really exciting, engaging, conversant, and not static. And that's how that all morphed and got into the coaching realm. And then that grew from having the background of teaching and university teaching and speaking and writing to, oh, well, then work with some executives. They need help with all of the above. And so then it just keeps blossoming into more and more and more, which is the best thing ever, right? That's what you want to have happen. So I'm sure people in the audience are saying, now, wait a minute, how did you go from helping professors teach more engaging classes to all of a sudden, hey, why don't you work with executives? How did that, like, who connected you at that point? Like, how did that transition happen? That's an interesting dynamic in that so many professionals come back to the university that they graduated from and they teach a class. And so not necessarily do they come from the research or the PhD program, but they come from the business community with their expertise that they'd like to teach. And those were the people that would say, hey, wait a minute, Janet, you're doing this great work in the classroom with me. One of my senior executives or my CEO could really benefit from your communications training, how, what your strategy is with 
problem finding and problem solving what your they just looked at what I was doing with them and said, hey, wait a minute, I've got somebody that could really benefit from working with you. And that's how it grew into organizations, for-profits, non-profits, companies large and small, and really around the globe. So I've been fortunate enough to work outside of the U.S. and quite a bit in Canada and quite a bit in Europe. And of course, we can do everything by Zoom if people aren't available to travel. So that's really nice too. So the coaching comes down to some of it is still, I'm still using many, many of the techniques that I'm talking about in the classroom for engagement strategies, a lot of those carry over into team dynamics, which I work with teams as well in organizations, in coaching them to be better communicators. And so we start at the very top and looking at what are the objectives and the outcomes that they want to achieve or the stakeholders want to achieve. And then what's the overarching goal? What does success look like? What's at risk? We have very open, transparent conversations about what it is we're delving into. And then I'm the guide on the side that really guides them to figuring out their own answers, which is lovely, which is the way I feel my coaching practice has developed over time. And that's why it's all referral based and and I'm very fortunate. Well, and I just love that story of your progression into the field, because I think it highlights the fact that when we do what we're good at and what we're passionate, and we bring that value, then we, it's almost, I know it sounds a little fluffy to say it's almost magical, but in a way it is that the doors begin to open for people saying, I know where your skill set is needed. I know who needs you. Let me connect you with those people. And so it sort of organically flowed. I just, you know, I just sort of have goosebumps from your story of how that transitioned. And so now, Janet, if you were to tell us a little bit about what takes up your time now, what I know you still have your finger in lots of pies. What, <laughs> what does your overall business scape look like now? Let's see. As you know, from being a coach, it's different every day, which is another truly wonderful benefit to coaching is it's never the same. There's always a different client or a different need or a different structure that you need to follow or a different company organization that has many, many, many degrees of people and things that you need to hurdle before you actually even get to talk to somebody. And so it's different every day. I'd have to say maybe 25% of my time is spent at two different business schools here in California, where I coach not only faculty, but also some of the MBA students on presence, on voice, on negotiation, on strategy before they go out into the real world, which is really, really exciting. And I love, again, it's, it's that moment. It, it harkens back to the teaching of the skating when somebody lands a jump, it's the same, it's that same feeling of, oh my gosh, that feels so good. And now it's when they get how to organize their thoughts before they negotiate, or how do they show up with a different status or authority in just in their nonverbal communication. And helping guide the students to that is just, that is magical. That's really, really fun. And that that's one element of my work. And then quite a bit of it has been focused in senior level executives for the last two years and truly working with a lot of women to elevate them to board seats, to board representation. So I do get called to work with women that are CEOs or CEOs on the current track to being a CEO, and then also women that are completely prepared, but just are a little hesitant to make that final leap to putting themselves to being board ready. And so I support, guide, nurture, help. We coach to that. What is 
holding them back, as well as how do they take those final steps to actually say, I am so ready to be on this board. What do I need to do next? And how do I interview to the best of my ability? And so I help that group of people probably 25% of the time. And then the rest is scattered between team dynamics, teams of people that either get along or don't get along and have some issue that they need to work on. And we go in and just break everything down and facilitate the learning, the coaching that needs to happen. And then the C-suite executives is really where I land quite a bit and work with a lot of people just because I'm now taking everything that I've learned from teaching, coaching, being an athlete, which brings a lot of focus and dedication to my work. Right. As well as passion, which which I, I'm so grateful that I get to do what I love and wake up every day really excited. And so I end up being in that and swimming, I guess, in that big pool of the different different clients quite a bit. And that's why it's always dynamic. It's always changing. I get to work with a lot of really, really interesting people. That is a beautiful representation of some of the benefit of executive coaching and that we we can have these different arenas that we play in and help different clients create success. And, you know, the women that you're helping to create the kind of confidence and um, get over that last hump to bring the value that they can to boards, as well as the C-suite work you do. And, And one of the things that you're known for is being a communications consultant and using your vast experience in that facilitation. We talked about in our pre-interview that coaches tend to do several different things to fill our playing card, uh, to, to fill our days. And you just shared the different things that you do. And one of the things that many times we're called in to do is facilitate, to help train. And while some of you out there in the audience might just, and not just in a bad way, but you might purely coach and coaching is what you do. Many of you also do many different things to to bring an income, bring value, all the different things that we do. So Janet, we've talked about talking about some strategies today and sharing strategies in that concept of facilitation. And you have a special term that you've coined. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about the term that you've coined and what that means. First of all, I love that you acknowledge that we all, probably no matter what field you're in, we all wear many hats. And I believe as coaches, it's really a benefit to be able to switch hats hats when you need to. So you go in with one maybe preconceived idea and all of a sudden, oh, this is going a different direction. And that ability to be flexible is key as a coach because you just truly never know who your next client is going to be. So that that's extremely important that that what you call the wearing of the mini hats. And then about your question about, I call what is facilitating and also teaching, facilitating. And I coined that term back when I started at Berkeley Haas quite a while ago when I was watching the teachers just either teach or lecture, but no one was really engaging, which is part of facilitation, which is asking really good questions, getting people to move, maybe dividing the class into quadrants, or you pairing up, or you're in a triad, and you go off for three minutes, and you solve a problem, and you come back, and you debrief. So I've really implemented facilitating into quite a bit of the coaching I do at the university level, but also with the C-suite executives, because a lot of times they feel their role is to just 
either delegate or, you know, come up with a great strategy or just be at the top when really it's about having conversations with the people you work with. And sometimes, believe it or not, a lot of people in that C-suite really don't know how to ask questions because they are so, they feel they're always looking for the right answer instead of saying, hey, well, Meg, what do you think about this? Right. Or where's the piece of the puzzle that's missing for you? Or how can we design this content to really reach our whole audience, not just one segment? So I help them really facilitate with their employees or their staff, whomever they're working with, their teams, so that they learn how to ask really good questions. And something that's super simple that I always coach people on is when you're asking questions, to try to create your questions to start with either a how or a what. So what might that look like? How can we best address this issue instead of why, because that's a defensive posture. Right. Or it sort of comes from the parent ego state usually or exactly. some defensiveness. So, yeah. And actually having that process sink in for the, uh, the executive to go, oh, I never thought about how I was asking questions. And I said, well, just think, of it. let's practice. Just think about how you might frame that question that you just asked me with either a how or a what. So I feel you want to hear from me. And that's a super simple thing that a lot of people don't think about when they first start asking questions or get into a conversation or a dialogue with someone. They're more like, well, what is going to happen here? And then why and when? So the why and the when, you may need to know the what is going is where the real conversation starter is and will keep the doors open instead of shutting it down. Why didn't you do this on time? When is this going to be delivered? Instead of what might be the best process for you to deliver this to me by Friday? Completely the same question, but in a much more open fashion. So it's something that is just facilitating is, is along those lines where you read the situation, you decide where you're going to go with it next, and then determine that either with questions or with an experiential exercise, like what's the outcome that we're trying to attain here? What do we need to do? And then develop an exercise around that objective so that people aren't sitting for long periods of time, or maybe it's an onboarding with an organization and they're bringing in 30 new people that have never met each other. So how would you make it comfortable for everyone? What kind of language, what kind of inclusive language would you use? And what kind of exercises would you do so that I feel held in this special spot and I'm still learning either about the company itself or the culture, because every company has a different culture. And all those things I just spoke about can be translated to the C-suite. Well, and I love that. So so first of all, I wanted to touch back on my experience with the C-suite and the concept of sort of empowering them to empower their people by asking questions instead of always being in the place of telling. It's almost like giving them permission. I, I get the sense, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are about this, that sometimes they get into those positions and they feel like, well, I'm in this position, therefore I have to tell instead of ask. It's, it's sort of, so being able to open up the possibility that you're empowering the smart people that you've hired by asking questions versus always having to be the one to give the answer becomes right. almost liberating for the, for the oh, leader. I, I think you're absolutely right. As well as when you turn it over to someone else, when you give that permission to 
throw out a question that you've thought about. You come up with a really good question. It's not just something that flies off the top of your head. You've really thought about what questions you would like to ask and then how you're framing the question. It's what I call sourcing the source. You are then sourcing the people that are working with you on a team and they more than likely probably have the answer or at least one of the answers. There's many answers usually. And so when you source the source, it's like, wow, why, why wouldn't I ask them these questions? Well, what's holding me back from actually having a dialogue? But I think sometimes people get into a C-suite position and they feel they have to have all the answers. And like you said, it's really a relief when they realize, oh my gosh, I don't have to have all the answers. I might need to synthesize all those solutions that come to me and one that will work for our company or organization. Yet at the same time, it is a huge burden when you think you're just supposed to dictate and have all the answers instead of, wow, what if I ask these three people this one simple question and got three different ideas, then I come up with one that incorporates all of those. That That's a way to look at a strategy as well. So when, when I talk about communication strategy, that's what I do is facilitate conversations, the learning that goes on, giving people freedom that, you know, what's wrong with us asking your team what they think? Well, I've never Doesn't done that it before. increase their well, buy-in overall? Yeah. Absolutely. When, you know, people just want to be heard, you know, you want to give your thoughts and you want to be respected for those. So the more you involve people in that process, the better they feel. So let's talk a little bit about how you do that and how you help instructors increase the engagement of their classroom. So my thought is that many of the audience who's listening might very well be in a place at times of facilitating a training or uh, being brought in to do a workshop. or So let's dive a little bit into your expertise around creating engaging trainings or teaching or some more of your facility teaching in a way that it really engages the audience. One of the things you talked about earlier was doing some interactive things within, you know, not just didactic, but let's break into to trios first and then come back or break into dyads. So what are some of the other things that you talk to the professors that you work with, the different facilitators that you work with? Okay. What I first clarify with whomever it is, and for this conversation, let's just say it's it's an organization that's brought me in to facilitate for four days of onboarding. Okay. And I would always start with them saying, that is fantastic. And what are your objectives? And everybody has objectives. So without the objectives, you're kind of flying solo, which I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> with, with objectives, it keeps you very structured within guidelines, and you can still fly freely within the guidelines, yet at the same time, you know where you're going. So I always ask for outcomes or objectives, whatever people want to call them, that's fine. And people in the university settings, on their syllabus, there's always objectives. By the end of the course, you will, bing, bing, bing. Right. So it's basically, there's lots of carryover of what I'm talking about, whether you're a faculty member or whether you're in an organization or whether you're the facilitator that's coming in. So I start with objectives and then I say, what's your overall goal? If there's one thing you would like to attain by the end of the four days, what is it? And maybe it's something as clear as we want them to feel, we want all the 30 people to feel and understand our culture. Okay, that's very broad, but the objectives are guiding us to that overall goal. So in the objectives might be that each person is recognized for their individual differences, that each person has a skill set 
that cannot be duplicated, that, you know, whatever it is that you're looking at and going, okay, so if that's the case, then I would sit back and I would do this way ahead of time. I don't, I do some of it on the fly because I've done it for a while and you go, oh, the audience is ready for this. Let's just have them on their feet and we'll do this. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I do plan out what is going to transpire over the four days and for each particular day and how it, how it builds on itself so that mm-hmm. by the end we achieve that I feel so cool about being in this culture. I feel so warm and nurtured and well-regarded and well-respected, and I can't wait to do my job. So that's the ultimate, right, at the end of the four days. So for the facility teaching part of it, it would be a matter of I usually don't let people sit still or daydream for more than 15 minutes. I think one of the last quotes I read was that we have the attention span of a goldfish, and that's about seven And I heard that the goldfish is a a second longer than humans, which is kind of (laughs) depressing. (laughs) Well, a lot of that is because we have instant access and and immediacy to everything, right? Right, right. So it's common and it's natural for us to float out of conversations and come back in and float out and come back in. And so my theory is always that 10 to 15 minutes, and then I either pose a question that will be debriefed, or I say, find a partner that you haven't worked with before. So that makes people get up on their feet. And I always say, please, please stand up, find a partner you haven't worked with before, introduce yourself, and then wait for your next instruction. So that gives people time to go find somebody. And this again is done. I encourage this in classrooms as well. So professors can do this if they've got the room, of course. And then Whatever it is that one of my objectives, if it's spend a minute and 10 seconds talking about what you're bringing to the company and your time starts now, then they have to figure out, number one, who's going to start. And that usually takes some time. Okay, I'll go. And then they talk about who their time, you know, what their specialty is. And then I usually ring a bell. I don't like to scream too much. It reminds me of, you know, bad teachers yelling at you. So I just ring a bell and say, okay, switch partners. Now person B is going to tell what their specialty is. And then I do it always, the lear- most of the learning happens in the debrief. So if you've got 30 people and you've got 15 teams, I usually just, and by the simple action of raising my hand, it signals that that's what I want to have happen. And I'll say, okay, well, who, who would like to comment on that? Or using a how question, how was that? Super vague question, but it lets people go in whatever direction they want to go. So they might go, oh, that was really fun. I just learned all about Joe's career. Or that was kind of awkward because we don't really, we, we both do the same thing. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Right. But that debrief is so important because most of the learning happens there for the other people that are listening. So highly recommend doing that. And then say, say okay, please grab your chairs. We're going to continue on with the topic. Or here comes our next guest speaker or whatever it is. So at least you've had one. And you can just do, I would urge you to be creative in this because it truly, if you're, if you're, hearkening back to your objectives and you keep reflecting back on what those are, that guides you for, oh, what do I need to achieve in the next exercise? What if I did three people this time, we stepped outside and two people had a dialogue where they maybe have to figure out some others, something else, and one person coaches them. So then everybody gets to take a turn and maybe they have 12 minutes. So each person gets, what is that? Four minutes in each role. So they get a four minutes as the speaker, four minutes as the receiver, four minutes as the coach saying, oh, I'd like to see you do this and this and this different. And then they switch roles and then bring everybody back in for the common debrief, which is what was that like? What did you learn? Really open-ended, vague, vague questions so that you let the participant go where they want to go. 
Oh, I love that. And what I love about that also is that you're guiding, you're not sort of prescribing, you're not filling the space with what you believe that people need to have gained or whatever. You're just in that place of using those coaching questions to allow the conversation to flow amongst the group that that you're working with? The conversations take off. Even on the first day when no one knows anyone else, mm-hmm. the level of comfort, of course, is what you really want to grow. And so the more you do wonderfully inclusive exercises that are non-confrontational, that are don't expose too much about a person. So no matter where you're coming from, you feel comfortable talking about it. So things like your specialty or uh, how did you end up here at this company? Or, you know, what's your favorite movie? I mean, it can be very different things to just get people to talk and then the comfort level increases. And then you can go deeper and deeper and deeper as the four days progress into what those back to those objectives that you need to attain. I just want to recap. You talked about the importance of making sure that you do that needs assessment, that you find out what are the objectives? What am I being brought in to help you get to so that there's no assumption there? You're not operating off of what you believe that the organization is bringing you in for, but that you're really creating clarity there and that you create that safe environment by starting with those questions that are relatively comfortable, but that you're creating that interaction, you're understanding that people's attention span is that of a goldfish. So that, (laughs) and that concept, we talked earlier about the importance of active listening in facility teaching as well. So how would you describe the importance of active listening within this framework? I think that's, that is the foundation for all of this to grow from. So if you are building a building here, the foundation being the listening intently, and I don't mean just listening going, okay, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm." I mean, really listening to the words that are being used, the phrases that are being used, and maybe there's some repetitive phrases that are being used. And I take note of all of that. And then the scaffolding that comes up from that is truly, what are those objectives? Those are almost the pillars that are holding everything up. But the listening has to happen first from you as well as them, if you have an idea that might work, but primarily from the coach or the advisor that's coming in and saying, okay, let's look, let's just talk a little bit about what's going on for you here. And then I ask a lot of questions. So what would success look like? What's at risk? What are, again, back to what are your outcomes and objectives? And sometimes if it's a C-suite client, I'll say, you know, what is your behavior telling you about your motives? I really go into how they're showing up and then is that motivating them in the correct direction? Also, what are challenges you face, maybe personal and professional? So that would be much more of an individual client base. But back to that, still, it's all, it's all going to happen or not, depending on how well the coach listens and how that's just the primary purpose, really, of learning about how you're going to develop either an agenda or a whole a facilitation week or whatever it is that you're tasked with or are challenged with, it all starts with that listening component, right? And then building from there on the objectives, the overarching goal, and then looking at 
okay, what would success look like to the client? Well, the client might say, oh, I'll be able to stand up and present to thousands of people without being afraid, or I'll be able to hold a board meeting and be very structured and concise in my timing. So whatever it is they want to attain, that's wonderful to hear what success would also look like from their point of view. You may have your own idea. It's their idea that you want to work with, right? It's not your own, it's theirs. So uh, back to listening, what is their idea of success? What does it look like to them? I am continually sort of brought back to how everything that you're talking about is reflected in overall coaching presence and the skill set that we use as coaches. So the concept of first understanding what it is that the client wants, whether it's out of the session or out of the training or the workshop or whatever it is that you're doing, how we build trust and intimacy, how we actively listen for what they really want and use that information to build on our questions, on any communication that we share, listening for those references or repeated words, repeated phrases. I, I hope that the audience is also hearing, wow, that sounds like coaching because it is the, the facility teaching that you're talking about builds on those coaching skills, which is, I believe, one of the reasons why we wear so many different hats as coaches, because the skill set that we have as coaches that we hopefully continue to build and, and, and grow those muscles on an ongoing basis are transferable to other things as well. Yes, I believe they are. So Janet, thank you so much for bringing your skill set to us, sharing your story because it was such a powerful story and helping us with these specific strategies that we can use, whether it's coaching an individual or working with a whole room full of people to help them meet their goals and obtain those objectives. And you've just been a joy to have on the show. Thank you, Meg. It's been really nice to be here. Wonderful. So there you go. One more expert sharing with us her incredible journey and specific tools and techniques that we can use to be the best that we can be. Thank you, Janet Watson, for coming on the show and sharing your journey with us. If you'd like to know more about Janet or about the Star Coach Show, go to starcoachshow.com and episode 145 will supply you with the show notes with information about Janet in those show notes. As I mentioned, if you're enjoying the show, do me a favor, rate and review and share the show so that more and more coaches know about what they can learn through the Star Coach Show. We have so much good content coming up. I have a health and wellness coach coming to share about how focusing on health and wellness and ways to do so can make us healthier every day, whether we're health and wellness coaches or not. I have a social media expert sharing how we can create the presence in our social media that's going to create the leverage of our business that we want. Have you ever heard of the Enneagram? We have an interview all about what the construct of the Enneagram is and you're going to be able to take the Enneagram for free when we have that 
episode launch. There are so many incredible interviews on the calendar coming forward to you. So be sure you never miss an episode by subscribing. And until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a wonderful week.